Amen. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you once again and to share from uh, this pulpit and to enjoy fellowship with your pastor and his family uh, and with, of course, my own family while I'm here, uh, which is always a wonderful time. Uh, So it's good uh, and to see some folks that I haven't seen for a very long time, like Brother Wayne back there would go back to Fort McMurray uh, when I pastored there. So uh, that's Well, we won't talk about how long ago that was because it reveals both of our ages. Uh, Anyways, it is good to be with you, and Strategic Renewal exists to ignite the heart of the church to seek the face of God by coaching its leaders. So our primary focus is on church leadership. Uh, We do a number of different types of coaching. Uh, So one of them that we do for anybody and everybody in the church is a 30-day coaching on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's called Transforming Presence, and we meet once a week online uh, for 30 days. And we do that. We do the 90 day praying leader coaching, which right now I'm in the middle of a cohort. The next cohort will start up in September. Uh, and so we're starting to take registrations for that. I also, do a six month event, which is with the church, its leadership. We usually begin that with a live event, finish it with a live event, and everything in between is online. Uh, and so there's a number of things. Then, of course, we help facilitate prayer summits. Um, different types of encouragement that way and help teach prayer. Prayer. Now, you do want to write down May the 29th. You do not want to miss that with my dear friend Robbie. Uh, he's going to be, he is a crackerjack. We love Robbie. We enjoy being with him at Hope. And he's going to be one of the plenary speakers at our conference in Calgary starting the next day, uh, basically, so on the Tuesday. And so you want to be there for that. That, Anyways, that's enough about me and the ministry and what we do. And we came early uh, this year so we could watch uh, Trent's team play in the Nationals for volleyball. They won bronze, so I'll brag on him just a little bit. Um, He now has, like, tied me for height. So we're the two tallest in the family, and he's going to beat me in a hand, you know, like, no problem. So that's all there is to that. Well, anyways... If you have your Bible with you, turn with me, please, to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, a well-known verse. I have preached on this verse multiple times. I have redone the message on this verse multiple times. It started out years ago with three or four points. Now it's up to six. Um, in one of the ways I know that this is such a great church, uh, you know, a, few, a little while back I was preaching at a church and they had a big clock on the back wall, and they said, this moment you start to preach, it's going to start to count down. You've got 33 minutes. From the moment your feet hit the platform, no one told me how long I have today. This is a great church. It's smoky. You can't do anything outside anyways, so we're here for the long haul. No, I'm just kidding. We'll try to be reasonable uh, on the time that way. But uh, to speak on revival this morning and renewal, uh, you know this verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Depending on the translation you're using, it starts with the word and or the word if. So if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, thank you for the privilege that we have this morning to pray together, uh, to worship together, to exalt your name, for we recognize that you are a God who is worthy and high and lifted up. And we adore you this morning and thank you for who you are, that you are a holy, holy holy God. 
And as we bow in worship and surrender, we ask that through the ministry of your spirit, you would search our hearts today and that you would lead us through the text and that you would help us be the men and women that we ought to be for your honor and for your glory. And for this, we will give you great praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I think very few would debate the fact that our nation is in great need of a revival. The church in Canada is shrinking and shrinking rapidly. In the last decade, we've shrunk by almost 30%. The average age of God's people is getting older. I am in the top category. Those coming behind us are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. One of the reasons why I was asked at this conference in Calgary is to do a workshop on the importance of handing our faith on to the next generation. It becomes important. Just this past week in the city of Calgary, a young man standing outside of a high school on a public sidewalk, distributing Bibles to anyone who wanted one, not forcing himself upon anybody, arrested, handcuffed, thrown in the police cruiser, taken away, later released because they knew he had done nothing wrong, and they finally arrested the people that were harassing him and pushing him around. But that's the country in which we now live in. Your freedoms as a child of God are not necessarily guaranteed anymore, and we can politic all we want. And my two favorite topics in all the world are religion and politics, neither of which you're supposed to speak about in public. But politics, and I'll say this, and this is the only thing I'll say political, vote, vote. But if you're counting on a vote to change things, you're wrong. It'll help us some with right governments, we have certain freedoms and privileges protected. With wrong governments, we'll have to fight for those freedoms and protections. But if we want to see our nation changed, it's going to come as the church is revived, as the church is changed. J.I. Packer put it this way, revival is the visitation of God which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. The vast majority of God's people in the last few years have said they have not experienced God's presence in the last year. Oh, how we need to be revived. And this text doesn't set the stage to guarantee revival. It's not a, if you do A, you'll get B, and B will give C. But what it does do is it places us in a position where we can be blessed by a holy God. You've just started to study the book of Jonah as a church, and Jonah would be one of the great revival stories of the Old Testament. In Jonah chapter 1, you see his disobedience and as he runs from God. In chapter 2, you see his distress as the result of his disobedience. Finally, you come to chapter 3 in verse 1 that it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. We sang about the God of second chances this morning. And you see Jonah's declaration 
And then unfortunately, you have chapter 4 where you see his disappointment and the fact that God did what God said he would do. Have you ever been disappointed that someone got saved? You ever been disappointed that someone got things right with God? Sometimes it's easier to hate the town reprobate instead of seeing them come to faith. But Jonah preached the revival message in a great city, it was called, the city of Nineveh, and it had a full day's journey to get through it, and he declared the need for repentance. Under Ezra's ministry, this chronicle is written for us and starts with, if my people the ones who are called by my name, which first happened in the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 26, when they were called Christians or Christ followers. So if my people, so if you're here today and you would say, Lindsay, I know Jesus as my personal Savior. I've trusted him. I've been baptized. I became a church member. I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. If that group of people, if my people, the first thing we need to look at is personal examination. And if you didn't get that from being up there a little while ago, there's something you're really sleeping good. Personal examination. It's easy to examine other people, isn't it? It's easy to look at someone else and see their flaws and their failures and to pick out their sin. And yet the scriptures would encourage us not to do that, but to look in the mirror, to look in deep within our own heart and soul. If my people who are called by my name, if that group of people examine themselves, what's not right in your walk with Jesus today? What's not right with my walk with Jesus Christ today? Because we can come to church and pretend everything's good. We can put the smile on and walk through the door and we can raise our hands or we could sit on our hands. We could give or not give. We could smile or not smile and pretend life is great. But we know the grip the enemy gets on our own soul. We know our own flaws. We know where he leads us into temptation. And we need to build those safeguards around us. And we do that with personal examination. And then when we help and bring that before others for help. So if we want to be in the position of being blessed, we need to look at ourselves in light of God's word. I constantly hear from people in church primarily, well, I feel like or I think that, or, you know, you got to be true to your own self. You know, we've developed the Oprah theology. Nowhere does the New Testament teach us that. Nowhere does the Old Testament teach us that. The reality is, and I don't want to seem too cold or harsh because I really do care, but, but I really don't care what we think. I don't care how we feel. What does God say? What does word say? I need to surrender my thoughts and my feelings to that, to the truth of his word. I mean, I'm like anybody else. I have feelings. Or as some of my family would say, I have a feeling. Uh, But I can get hurt. 
I, I can think wrong ways. It's not about how I feel. Well, how do you feel about church this morning? Who cares how I felt about church? Was the word proclaimed? Did we sing songs that promote biblical truth? Did we worship and honor the Lord? Personal examination. But we move from personal examination to a practical humiliation where we need to be a humble people. If my people, the ones who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Humble themselves. Over in First um, Peter, what's my note tell me? Chapter 5 and verse 6, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. So to humble ourselves means to have a lowliness of mind so that we're under the mighty hand of God so that he, God, might exalt us at the proper time, which is a future event. And so to be humbled before him. We, we live in a day when pride and arrogance so easily creeps in. And there's a difference between confidence and arrogance, no doubt about it. And there's a difference between humility and self-loathing. There's a lot of people who look in the mirror and say, I'm, I'm such a terrible person. Woe is me. You know, I'm, I'm just evil. I'm, I'm wicked. I'm... If you know Jesus Christ, your identity is now wrapped up in him. I've had the privilege of preaching in events literally around the world, training pastors and doing evangelistic work and teaching and training at a master's level in, the, in Russia years ago. I'm not so foolish as to think there weren't better people for the job, more qualified, more gifted, more ability. But God gave me the chance. And so you take the opportunities he gives you with confidence and say, he opened the door, so I'm not going to sit around and think, well, I'm not going to go through that because there's other people that are smarter than me. I mean, I've got friends who have forgotten more than I've ever known. But God's given me opportunity. That's the call he placed on my life. What opportunity has God given you? And so we humbly depend on him because humility from a biblical perspective really means that the only way I'm going to accomplish anything of eternal value or glory is to do it in God's way, God's timing, after his call. I need to trust him. Now, I'm one of those personalities that likes to get things done. You know, the people that sort of say, well, you know, I, I can do that tomorrow. I'm thinking, why are you so lazy? Do it today. See, I was raised in a military home. My dad was in the Navy. My mother was in the Air Force when they got married. Uh, and so when I say military home, it was a military home. Um, being on a ship, my father said everything has a place and everything in its place. And that's just the way it was. You never let anything just sit there. It was a way. The older I get, the more I find some of the... You remember all those times you younger parents in here said, I'm not going to be like my parents? <laughs> you will be. <laughs> Just to encourage you. You know, the older I get, the more I find out. Like, Why is that still sitting there? Why is that not away? But it's to trust in God's call on your life and to humble ourselves before him. See, I need him. If anything, 
of value is going to come out of my life. So if my people, those of us who name the name of Jesus, would humble ourselves, that's that practical humiliation, then it's purposeful intercession. We need to be men and women of prayer. We need to be young people of prayer, people who seek the face of God. But it's purposeful. It's not going to happen by accident. See, prayerlessness is my declaration of independence against a holy God. When I don't pray, I say, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. And the problem is with the church today. Here's why the church in Canada is shrinking, because we've done it on our own for the last hundred plus years. I mean, pastors, new pastors today have grown up in prayerless churches. Most churches don't have any form of a prayer meeting. Now, I'm not saying it always has to be a weekly event, it's, you know, and heaven forbid it be the kind of prayer meeting I grew up with and that I led when I first started pastoring, you know, 44 years ago. Because it wasn't a prayer meeting, it was a Bible study where we took prayer requests. And after we had 40 minutes of prayer requests, we finally ran out of time and said, you know, hey, Brother Chris, would you close with prayer? And he would run through the list, you know, Lord, please bless, 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 bless. That's not a prayer meeting. That's a Bible study with a 20-minute gossip session. A prayer meeting is let's pray. Let's seek the face of God. Let's worship him. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We'll get to the point of request, but first we worship and we adore him. It's purposeful as we pray back the truth of God's word to him. As we pray about everything and in every circumstance and situation. I am so thankful for some older men in my life over the years that built into me in prayer. In fact, even yesterday, for probably close to 30 years now, I get an email every Saturday. Here's the verse of Scripture I'm praying for you tomorrow as you prepare to preach. Every Saturday, I get that email from a man who's now 82 years of age and lives in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's purposeful intercession. We're going to trust God for the big things. We're going to pray for the miracles. We're going to pray for the, pray for the conversion of our kids and our grandkids and our parents and our siblings and the town reprobate that we work with. And we're going to trust God to do what only God can do. It's purposeful. So if my people, personal examination, would humble themselves, practical humiliation, and pray, purposeful intercession. That's why you don't want to miss your regular, you, you do a monthly prayer night. That should be number one priority. Number one priority. It's literally more important than Sunday morning. Now, Pastor Chris didn't ask me to say that, and he may not like that I said that, but it's more important than Sunday morning. If a church isn't motivated by the, seeking the face of God, we can know all the truth of the word and have no life. But then we move on to perpetual determination and seek my face. See, a lot of people think prayer and seek my face is the same thing, but it's not. To seek the face of God goes a step deeper. It's more about devotion. Not about doing devotions. It's about being devoted A hundred years ago, not literally, but Carly Simons had a song called Devoted to You. 
I don't know how many times my wife and I have sung that at weddings over the years about being devoted to one another. And if you and your marriage just simply do some stuff together but don't encourage devotion to one another, your marriage will fizzle. It'll become a marathon of misery instead of something of hope and encouragement. It's a determination to seek him, to seek his face. The reality is we need to learn to look into each other's eyes. So the key to a love relationship on earth is to look in each other's eyes, to be devoted. Uh, my wife and I, as Pastor Chris said, have been married for it'll be 44 years this August the 17th. We dated for two years before that, and when I determined that she was the young lady that I was going to go after, uh, I wanted to know what kind of things would please her. I was wanted to make her happy. That's what devotion does, is how do I bring pleasure to this person? And yet when it comes to God, most of the time we only look for what he can do for us instead of what we can do for him. We look at his hand instead of his face. The hymn writer said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face so that the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Pastor Jim Symbola from the Brooklyn Tabernacle said, if all I do is look at God's hand, I will miss his face. But if I see his face, he'll open his hand. It's a determination to seek the face of a holy God. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn and turn from their wicked ways. Some translation use the word evil ways. Now remember, this verse of Scripture was written to the people of God. It was written to the nation of Israel who found themselves constantly being trapped in not trusting God. This verse of Scripture, because it's part of the canon, is written to the church. Those of us who claim the new covenant and the blood of Christ, who constantly find ourselves battling with trusting God and living in sin. We keep lowering the standard of what does holiness mean because it gets easier. See, that was what the church attraction model was all about. Let's do whatever we have to do to attract people to come. And we're not going to tell them the truth. And we're not going to use words like that's sin or that's wrong or that's unacceptable behavior. We're not going to do church discipline. See, any church that loves its people and loves a holy God will discipline its people. Just like any parent who really loves their children will discipline their children. Now, you can determine what style of discipline works best for you and for your children, uh, you know, because what works for one doesn't necessarily work for another. I grew up in an age where, you know, spanking was the number one choice. For me, it's probably still the number one choice. But I don't have anybody to spank anymore. You're not going to do that to your grandchildren, so you bite your tongue. Well, not with Trent, anyways, you know. But with the littlest ones, oh, I could fix that if they'd let them stay with me for a week, you know. <laughs> if we love our people, we're going to correct them. 
We're going to challenge them. But it's to turn. It's a powerful transformation. It's not just adding Jesus into our lives and living it the way it was. So I, I know very few of you here. I recognize some faces from my last visit and from being at church in the Dome, uh, you know, when you started, you know, a couple of years ago and freezing to death in there. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember some faces. But in a crowd this size, without a doubt, there's people living in sin. And you need to know that because you're loved, you're being told it's wrong. So the couple that's living together, well, we're committed. You're committed to sin. And I love the fact that you're committed to one another and you might get married down the road, but that means you're hindering your own walk of faith. Or the teenager or the young person who's dabbling with drugs and pornography and We love you deeply, but there's no way to walk with Jesus. It's a powerful transformation. It's the one that takes the drug addict and sets them free. I was scrolling through some pictures on my phone the other day. You know how we do that now that we don't have photo albums. We've got phones. Uh, and I was scrolling through because something had popped up as a memory for me. And there was a picture of a young man who was sitting in the corner of the couch in my living room with his ball cap on. And I didn't say, take your hat off. You're, in a, you know, you're inside. I wouldn't have been told to take it off either. I'd been whacked to have it knocked off my head, you know. And he's sitting there. He's got his coat on, and he's, and he's cold. Now, why is he cold? Well, he's cold because he's detoxing from his addiction to drugs. And he stayed in our home for almost two weeks leading up to Christmas. Because when you know Jesus, it's a powerful transformation. Today he pastors a local church. And every year in December I get a phone call. Hey, Pastor Lindsay, it's that time of year. Thank you. Thank you for not turning your back on me when everybody else did. Thank you for bringing a drug addict into your home two weeks before Christmas when no one in their right mind would do that. So it was a compliment and an insult at the same time. <laughs> I've never been in my right mind. That's why I went into ministry. But if you know Jesus, it's a powerful transformation. It doesn't mean we're not going to wrestle with sin. I'm not believing in perfect holiness today. I don't believe in sinless perfection. But I do believe most of us could get closer to it than we are. Powerful transformation. Notice, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. See, when we've cried out to him, I meant to use this illustration earlier. Jonathan Edwards, the great revivalist who preached that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, who was 
so blind that no one, he didn't look at the people, he literally held his notes this way when he preached. Calling on people on both sides of the Atlantic to pray because he knew the only way to experience revival was to pray. Wrote a book, and this title was A Humble Attempt to Promote Explicit Agreement and Visible Union of God's People in Extraordinary Prayer for the Revival of the Church and the Advancement of Christ's Kingdom on Earth. That was the title of the book. (laughs) There's more in his title than they're found in most books today. Explicit agreement, visible union of God's people. The only way revival is going to occur is when God's people come together and seek him. Then I will hear from heaven. God has promised he will hear. He answers us. We're not praying to a dead God. We're not praying to a statue. We're praying to a God who is alive and well and whose only son is our intercessor who goes between us and represents us. He's our advocate, our lawyer. Whatever term you want to use there, that's the role that Jesus does today. And when we don't know how to pray, the Apostle Paul told us right into the church at Rome that the Spirit himself groans on our behalf. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Oh, how our land needs to be healed. Whoever would have dreamed in a free democracy, people would be jailed for preaching the gospel. I expected that in different nations in the world where I've traveled, where I've been told we're undercover or you need a certain type of visa. I've never expected that in the nation in which I was born. But revival, revival will change all of that because it'll bring the church back to life. See, my friends in the South use the term revival to refer to an evangelistic meeting. But that's not evangelism. Revival is giving life back. So when someone dies, I mean, in heaven forbid, you know, Pastor Chris falls over right here on the floor, uh, you know, massive heart attack, dies right there. Young man dies, that happens. And someone comes down and administers CPR, and others are praying over him, and someone else is giving him mouth-to-mouth, most likely his wife, because no one else wants to. Uh, You know, and that's just how it works. And he comes back. That's revival. May I suggest to you that the church in Canada, for all intents and purposes, is virtually dead and needs to be revived. Here's my question as we prepare to gather around the Lord's table. And after that, we're going to have a moment to pray with people here at the front. Are you in the position today where you are blessable? Are you in the position today when you can honestly say before a holy God, 
Skip anybody else in this auditorium that you can say before a holy God, I am able to take that bread and to take that cup as symbols of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to say, as best as my knowledge, I am standing right with him. If you can't, then now is your opportunity right where you are to make it right, to make it right with him. I remember years ago in one of the churches I pastored that needed to be renewed, because every church I pastored, that was the situation, in trouble, in debt, in decline. And I'd preached my heart out on renewal, and no one responded to the invitation. And I remember looking out at that church family and saying, we're supposed to serve the Lord's table today, but I, I can't serve it in good conscience before a holy God. I just declared that as a church, we're in sin. I can't serve that. But I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to pray. And I sat there and prayed. And I prayed. And the hardest thing I ever did in my life really was not to look up as I could hear commotion. And about 40 or 45 minutes later, I felt the Spirit of the Lord say, now's good. And I looked up. And I wasn't sure. You know, I thought, well, it could be an empty building when I opened my eyes. because you know. And I looked up and people that were sitting over here they're now sitting with people over here. And they've got their arms around one another and they're crying and they're praying to people that were over there. See, because I pastored a church that was split. And this side was not talking to that side. They'd have gone somewhere else, but there was no other option. And to see how the Spirit of the living God brought that congregation together, that really is revival. We can't cause it to happen, but we can set the sail. So that if the spirit of the living God sovereignly chooses to send the winds of revival, we're ready. Are you ready? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one looking around for just a moment. Just before Pastor Chris comes to lead us in the Lord's table, let me ask you this question. You'd say, Pastor Lindsay, I know I'm not ready yet for the Lord's table. Would you just put your hand up and put it down again? Just put it up and put it down again, real quick. Okay, amen, a few hands. Some of you might say, brother, I, I don't even know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, and we really didn't focus much on that this morning, but you'll hear about that in a few moments as we listen about the Lord's table. So let me just pray, then Brother Chris is gonna come. Father, thank you. Thank you for those that raise their hand to say they know they're not ready. And I pray that right now, where they are, you would encourage them by your Holy Spirit to bring before you known sin, confess it, that they would be ready before you. Thank you that you have promised us in your word that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive that sin and that you will not hold it against us any longer. It's removed from us. And so we celebrate that. But Lord, part of my prayer this morning would be that this church, Redemption Red Deer, would become a catalyst in this community, in this province, in our nation for revival. Oh God, that you would be pleased to start right here would cause us great joy. So we thank you for the application of your word to our hearts through the spirit 
of God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.